and there's been a reoccurring theme in our service, somewhat intentional, somewhat unintentionally, and intentional by God, I believe. And, and the point is, is that we come together because we want to grow closer to God. Would that be a fair statement to make? I want to grow. I'm here. I'm here because I want to go closer to God. Now, um, for some reason, I had the image of a bicycle. Uh, is anyone here ride a bike? Uh, or like know how, even if you haven't done it in a while, you know how to ride a bike. All right. Um, so what makes the bike go when you pedal it? Gears. What else? Chain. chain. How many would say the chain is one of the most important parts of the bike? Now, has your chain ever come off before? That sucks. You know what sucks more is when the chain comes off when you're like full motion and it jams and you just lurch over. Or the chain sometimes changes brakes. Has anyone ever had that happen riding a bike or just anything with a chain? Chain just, just flat out breaks. Well, this morning I titled it Fix the Chain. Now, maybe your chain isn't broken. Maybe it just needs a little bit of grease and uh, to, keep you, to keep you running smoothly. But uh, we want to just work on our relationship this morning. And you're like, I hate these talks with my spouse. When they tell me that, it means I have to change. Uh, but we want to work on our relationship this morning. And we believe that, that God is willing to take us just as we are, no matter what. And yes, it does. It does mean that we have to change. But I'm thankful. You know what sucks is that in, in a relationship, when you say, you know, honey, we have to work on the relationship. And we got to change a few things. And you go, but you know what? If you hadn't changed, honey, and become a better person, I wouldn't have to become a better person. Because we'd be just where we were. And I like that. It's just, it's, I like that the same. But the nice thing that we know when we have a relationship with God is that he never changes. So his standard has always been here and we're just, we're working our way there. And so we're always changing. And if we're not always changing, that means we're probably something, there's probably something that's not right. There's probably another step that we have to overcome. There's probably some other challenge that we've yet to face, to learn through, to grow through. And so we want to put ourselves in a position where we're growing closer to God. Now, that doesn't mean that this has to be a rapid, you know, move 120 miles an hour down the highway kind of change. But it's a slow progression that takes place over time. And some of us, I mean, how many here, if we were to have a starting line on Highway 17, close the highway down, and we say, okay, run Describer. Is there anyone in the room that thinks they could do it, the 13 or so kilometers? Think you could run that or walk it or something? You get there. Okay. If we were to start at the line, one way or another, I think we would all get there at some point. Some of us might have to set up a tent along the way and... (laughs) Whatever the case may be. And that's, I might be one of them. And that's okay. The point is, is that when it comes to our journey of faith, some of us have to send a tent up along the way. Some of us, it takes us a longer time to learn a certain lesson than others. Based on experience, based on past, just based on the way God made us. He made us all unique and he made us all different. And so we all come to him at our own time, in our own way, through his grace and through his power. And so it's not a race to see who gets there first. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be ashamed of where you are. But what we want to do this morning is give you a few helpful tools to get a little bit closer to God, to make sure that you're never just getting stuck, standing in the same place at the same time, working with a bike, a jammed bike chain or a chain that's broken. We want to help you fix the chain today. 
And uh, let me just give you sort of a little bit more of the why this morning. Can we do that? Here are five dangers that I stole these from someone else. These are not something that Pastor Gary came up with. These are something I borrowed to share with you because I thought it was valuable. But here are five dangers that we expose ourselves to by skipping out on our time with God. Are you ready for them? Five things that we open ourselves up to. Uh, Internal clutter. Internal clutter. Uh, this past week, Mackenzie got in trouble. Big shocker, kids get in trouble by their parents. Um, so what did we do? Her Part of it, the reason was her room was a disaster. Now, Mackenzie is basically a spit and image of me inside and out. Every little thing becomes a treasure, and it's valuable, and it's important. And so it goes on the shelf, it goes on the dresser, and I know it's not good for something now, Mom, but one day it will be good for everything. And, you know, this is, my mom used to say that to me, and it's just sort of this cycle over and over again. There was junk everywhere. And we say, all we need you to do is find a place for the junk and put it away where it's not going to get like thrown around the house and around your room. And so what we did, or more like my wife, she got a big clear plastic garbage bag and put all of her toys and all of her stuff that was in her room that was just everywhere, put it in the bag, and now she has to earn it back. But you walk into her room now and it's spectacular. Like it is just, it's like if you have like, what's that uh, disorder where everything's got to be just right? Thank you, thank you. I have that sometimes. Yeah. It's got to be just right. You know, you would you would be okay in this room, I think. Maybe it's been a day, so who knows now. But <laughs> but we cleaned up the clutter because now it's practical. Now she can actually get clothes out of her dresser. Now she can get clothes out of all so on and, and so forth. She can find what she's looking for. Minus the fact now I have a big bag of toys and, and, and kid junk in my room. And it's, it's big. It's a big, clear garbage bag. Anyways, when we expose ourselves, when we, by skipping our alone time with God, we expose ourselves to internal clutter. Uh, God may not always do something with our external circumstances when we read his word and pray, but God always does something inside of us. Something changes inside of us. Maybe, you know, I have the faith to believe that God can move mountains. God can change the physical. God can do whatever he needs to do, miracle, whatever. I believe that God can do those things. But I also know that when we pray and when we worship, regardless of circumstance, it changes us on the inside. It changes our heart. It changes our perspective. And when we skip our alone time from God, we're no longer getting that divine intervention on the inside of who we are. God no longer is working on the inside. Philippians 4, 7 says this. And the peace of God, the peace of God, say peace. We could use a lot of that. Surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We could spend the day on that one. All right. What it comes down to is this. I trust God that he will give me peace. And even though I don't understand the external circumstances, even though I don't understand the challenges that are before me, I can have a peace about it to not have to at least worry about it. Yeah, I have to deal with it. I have to walk forward through it. But I can have the peace, even though I don't even understand in my mind, I know in my heart that I'm okay. I know in my heart that I am going to be okay because God is with me. And we all have those moments. We might even have those dark times. Maybe it's nighttime. Maybe it's in the morning we wake up. Maybe it's mid in the afternoon. It just hits you. And we have these dark moments where we feel alone. We feel like we're not worthy. We feel like we're not good enough. Chaos around us. feel like we're just falling. And yet we can have the peace of God which surpasses all understandings. And not only that, not only will it give you peace, it says it will guard your heart. 
Now, why is that important? It'll help you not to do something that you'll regret. Because when we get into chaotic situations, we get into panic mode, we just sort of just go, just go for it. It's like, I'm just going to start running, and if I hit the wall, I hit the wall. You know, we make poor decisions if we don't pause and breathe and pray. Guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number two, when we, when we skip our alone time with God, we lack direction. Uh, it's pretty easy to get described from here, but uh, the journey of life is a little more complicated than that. We lack direction. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is not just a rule book. It's not the do's and don'ts. It's not called the do's and don'ts book. It's called the word of God. It's not just a rule book. It's, it's, it's a map that guides us. Uh, what is it? What's the, what's the little funny, cheesy church acronym? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Now, guys, we don't like to follow maps. We don't like to follow instructions, right? Is that accurate? I don't think that's true. I've, I try to follow, especially if you're putting together Ikea furniture, you want to have the manual. I remember putting together an entertainment center for my mother with our youth pastor at the time. And uh, we thought, we don't need the, inst- the instruction manual. It took us six hours and I'm not exaggerating. You know, some people are like, I'm just, you know, it took forever. No, it was a literal six hours. We started at lunchtime, and he stayed after dinner putting this thing together. And we had to do it. We had to go back, take it apart, put it back together. Why? Because we failed to follow the instructions. We failed to, to give out the directions before us. When we read God's word and we spend time with him in prayer, we gain direction and we reinstill our purpose in him. Number three is a big one, three out of five, inability to fight temptation. When we separate ourselves from God or we ignore that time from him, the temptation gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Because what happens, the farther you get from God, the closer you get to the thoughts of your own self, and the more opportunity you put yourself in for the enemy to come and begin to tease you, to taunt you, to work on your mind, to play with you, to play games. Being apart from God only encourages the enemy to draw closer because he sees you taking a step back. That's his opportunity to take a step forward. You know, it's just the way that he works. There's a reason they refer to him as a snake. There's a reason that he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's sitting there waiting for you to take a step back. Because in the moment you take a step back, it's like if you're at a castle. Why do castles exist? They're a form of protection for a city. It's a sign of strength. When you're within the walls of that castle or within that walled city, you're in a safe spot. What happens when you step outside those four walls? All of a sudden, the enemies of that land have you as an easy target. It's the same thing. As we step back from our relationship and our time with God, we lose our ability to fight temptation. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee. He has to flee. The closer you get to God, God and Satan, he he can't get close to God. The closer you get to him, the farther away he gets Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to come, it's not going to happen, but you want to be in the safe place when it does. Number four, this one I I think is key to the church in North America, if I could go as far as to say that. Number four, if you expose yourself to by skipping your alone time with God, you'll find a dwindling sensitivity to God. 
a dwindling sensitivity to God. Have you ever wanted to hear from God directly but couldn't? It's because you're missing the time communicating with him. Connection is not rocket science. It requires constant and unimpeded communication with someone. The same goes for our relationship with God. It's like if you're away from someone for a long time and and you almost forget the sound of their voice. It's the same thing. The The less time we spend with God, the harder it is to recognize his voice. I mean, we already have to have a faith to know that he's real. We already have to have a faith to know that we can feel him. And we already have to know we have to have a faith to hear from him. So the farther we get from him, the harder it is, partly because we put ourselves, then we're relying on our human strength. We're relying on something that we have to do. Whereas the closer we get to God, we're relying on him. We're relying on what's good, what's noble, what's pure, what's right. I love one of my favorite verses, Philippians, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is good, pure, I always say, it's my favorite verse and I say it wrong every time, but think on these things. If you're having a bad day, you feel apart from God, think on the things of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And number five, if we fail to spend our time with God, we begin to lose our appetite for, the, for what he calls God's treasures, the things of God. We lose our appetite for the things that God values. Matthew 6, 20 urges us to lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in or steal. We lose the passions that God has given us. We lose the heart of God for the people that he cares about. And we know what happens when we start to lose the heart of God in our own lives. We get to become bitter and then it becomes about us. You know, the pastor doesn't sing the song that I like. The pastor doesn't preach the book of the Bible that I like. He doesn't use the version of the Bible. I really don't like the change that they made. I really don't like this person sitting next to me. I really don't like that all these weird new people are here. These are the kinds of things that people begin to say when they lose of their sight of their first love. These are the things that happen to, to, to believers, to believers, people that are born again, believe in Jesus, that are saved by him when they begin to wander away from God. They lose an appetite for the things of God. They don't, be, they don't care about the things that God has cared about. I don't want to ever be in that place. How about you? I don't want to be there. And so what do we want to do? We want to get closer to God. And how do we do that, Pastor Gary? What are some tips that you can give me to help me do that? I'll let me tell you after I have a sip of this great coffee. It's actually pretty good. I don't know who made the coffee. I don't normally like Maxwell House, but it tastes pretty good today. So was it Diana or Glory maybe? It's good. Louise made it. I thought so. I'm surprised at how good the coffee is, not that you made the coffee. I'm silent because there's so many things that I could be saying right now and I'm not going to. But how do we do it? What do we do? What do we have to do, Pastor Gary, to get a little bit closer to God? Uh, And you're going to laugh at me because you think, I know that answer. But uh, there's a children's song that goes way back. I don't know when it was written. I don't know who wrote it. Uh, It's a little song that goes like this. Read your Bible. Well, we know that Judy and half of Corey knows it, so... Read your Bible and pray every day. Does anyone in this room not know how to read? It's okay if you don't. 
There's a thing called an audio Bible. You can listen to it. Okay. So what I'm going to say about this, if you want to spend more time reading the Bible, spend more time reading the Bible. All right. Look at your life. Look at the day that you plan out before you and, and, and say, okay, I spend maybe two hours watching TV or an hour in TV. Spend a half hour watching TV and spend another half hour reading the Bible. Um, you could PVR the show and stay up later and watch it later. So I don't know, whatever you got to do. But if you want to spend more time reading the Bible, spend more time reading the Bible. It's just do it. Okay. This, that's the easy one. The one I want to focus on is not that it's, I don't want to devalue the importance of that, but the one I'm going to focus on today is, is the act of praying because that's a little bit different uh, than just reading. There's, there's value in reading. We're going to, we're going to get to that another day. We're going to talk about the value of the word another day. Uh, we actually have to because our culture, you know, the, the Bible is not in our culture the way it once was. We don't read it at school. People, people have, might even have them on their shelves, but less and less people actually have them on their shelves. It may be the number one selling book globally, but it's probably also the most unopened book globally. And so there is, there is, a, there is certainly a high level of biblical illiteracy in our world. And so we'll, we will definitely focus on that, just not today. But if you want to read the Bible more, read the Bible more. We want to talk about praying today. Now, you've probably heard this prayer before. You've probably said it. Maybe you grew up saying this prayer. But how many here know the Lord's Prayer? Jesus taught us how to pray this. Let's read from the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 5. Some basic instructions from the man himself on how you ought to pray. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many, many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Then this is how you should pray. We could spend some time here on the, on the context of this, but it pretty, pretty straightforward instructions. Now, he's not saying don't ever pray publicly. He says don't do it to make yourself look good. Because it's not about the act of praying. It's about the heart behind it. It's about the heart behind why you're praying. It's not about the act of it. We can all stand up and, and pray to something. We could, we could worship this coffee mug if we really want to, and we could pray and make a big spectacle about it and make a big deal, and it's going to mean absolutely nothing. And we can do the same thing to God. We can put him on a pedestal. We can say many words to make ourselves look good for whatever reason, and it can mean absolutely nothing. Because what God, what is, we look at the, the life of David. What does God look at? He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And God doesn't want us to do some ritual. He wants you. He doesn't want you just to make yourself look good in process. Now, processes and rituals, they're good if they point us to God. You know, the processes and, and doing the things that we do, they're good things if we know the heart behind them. If they lead us and draw us closer to God, they can be a good thing. They can be a helpful thing. There's nothing wrong with routines and say, okay, at this time we're going to pray this, and at this time we're going to read that, and so on and so forth. And I'm going to sing this song because I know that the words in this song bring praise to God. There's nothing wrong with those things as long as you understand the heart behind it. 
And it's the same thing when we get into this next portion, which we're going to focus on this morning. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say, these are the words you should say. This is how you should pray. And this is the part that everybody in this room most likely knows. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And depending which manuscript you read, later manuscripts have, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It seems to me, and it just sort of a quick little Bible translation lesson for you, as they uncover more of the original manuscripts, uh, literally like dig up manuscripts and they, can, they, they know that it's from an earlier date, those manuscripts don't have that last verse, whereas newer manuscripts tend to have those last few lines. And some biblical scholars decide to put it in what they print before your eyes, and some decide not to. And the consensus is that there's nothing that is said that isn't true, so they print it. And some just put it as a little footnote. And so my Bible has a little footnote and says, some translations say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if it's in your Bible, that's why. If it's not in your Bible, that's why. I think we're good with that. Because we know that forever and ever he is the king. And that his is the glory, his is the power, and his is all the honor. We know that it's all about him. So there's nothing wrong if you say that part. All right. How many have heard this prayer before? How many have recited it before? How many understand what it means? All right, go home. The rest is for everyone else. He says, this is how you should pray. Gary, how do I get closer to God? How do I work on my relationship with him? Spend time with God. Spend time talking to God. This is how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father. You know, I said we can put God on a pedestal. The moment we begin to put God on a pedestal, now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't take this as, as, um, as me being irreverent. God is holy. God is far above me. God is far above anything else in this universe. I, I get that. But the moment we put God on a pedestal, we instantly put distance between us. Oh, I could never be like. Oh, he would never want me. Or I'm never going to be worthy. But we have a faith to believe that Jesus makes us worthy. Jesus makes us worthy to stand in the presence of God. And so Jesus says, our father, because why? What happens with a father and a son or a father and a daughter? Father opens up his arms, daughter at the end of the aisle, what's going to happen? She's going to come. Unless she's being silly and runs away. But she's going to come. She's going to come and embrace. She's going to get close to her father. He says, our father. It's personal. You know, both Greek and Hebrew say Abba. Abba Father. And as well, it's not just an, irre an, uh, an irreverent daddy. It's not just God saying, hey, dad, hey, daddy. He does say father because there's an element, and he says Abba. There's an, uh, there's an element of reverence in there to recognize, hey, I know that you're God, but I know that you're personable. I know that you are welcoming. I know that you're loving. I know that you're kind. There's warm. There's intimacy of a father's loving care. He says, our father. It reminds us when we pray who we're talking to. You know, if I were to start a conversation with Corey, I'd say what? Hey, Corey. And we'd start talking. Hey, Father. Our Father. We're talking to God. 
He says, hallowed be your name or holy be your name. He recognizes that he is God and that we're not. He recognizes and he, he says, when you pray, you're not only talking to God, but he's a holy God. So this is, I, I kind of just said this. He's set apart. That's the, simply the definition of holy. He is set apart from what we are, from where we stand. And it helps us know that even when bad things happen, when difficult things happen, it's so good to know that I can look beyond the troubles of this earth. I can look beyond, beyond the things that are right in front of me, the challenges, the problems, the pain, the anger, the hurt, the bitterness. I can look through all of that, and I know that God is above all of that. God is holy. He's set apart from all that. I can look at him and have confidence to know that God is above the imperfections of this earth. And when I need to get out of the situation that I'm in, when I need a little bit more hope than I currently have, when I start to pray, I instantly can have that little bit of hope to get past that circumstance because my God is holy. My God is holy. And in earth as it is in heaven, this is a powerful, powerful, powerful prayer. In earth as it is in heaven. It's a third, third petition. We always can always, always continue the advancement of God's kingdom. It's why he established his church. It's why he sent the Holy Spirit. It's why he calls us to gather together to pray for the sick, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to love one another, to show kindness. Next week, we're going to start talking about the fruit of the Holy or the fruit of the Spirit. And it's all of these steps. We're going to contrast it. We're going to call it this or that. We have a choice to make. Every time that we take a moment and show kindness and show love and generosity, generosity towards someone, it's bringing heaven to earth. And we all know we could use a little bit more heaven on earth. But then again, it takes the focus off of us and onto him. Not my will be done, but yours here on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to pray and we're called to work for the continual advancement of God's kingdom on earth. The presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts and lives of the believer the hearts and lives of you and me. Now we know there's a day coming when Jesus will come again. There's a day coming when the pain that we see on this earth, the war that we see on this earth, the challenges, the struggles, the heartache, there is a day coming where that will be no more. And that is the day that we live for. The day that I don't have to pray this prayer anymore because it has come to pass already will be a wonderful day. In fact, our whole fellowship of churches over 100 years ago was so enthralled with this fact that Jesus is coming again and he's coming soon. We anxiously await his arrival and we want to be ready for when he comes. We want his will to be done. Just as God's will is perfectly experienced in heaven, Jesus prays that it will be perfectly experienced here on this earth. And so when we pray this prayer, we're believing that God is going to work here, he's going to work now, but we also believe that God is going to work in the future. It's a prayer of hope. It's saying, God, here's my request, here's what I'm asking for you, but your will be done here and now and in the future. We notice at this point, Jesus transitions the prayer. He says he, 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 he recognizes God. He recognizes his father's holiness. He recognizes his father's will. And in light of all of those things, 
in light of all of those things, okay, God, however you choose to do it, here is my request. God, would you give us our daily bread? Would you take care of me? Would you make sure my needs are met? Would you make sure that I will never go hungry or without you? And it's not just a physical bread, but it's a spiritual aspect to it. God, you are my portion. God, you are what I need. May you give me everything that I need so that I can honor you, I can do your will, and heaven will be known here on this earth. It doesn't mean lots of things. We'll, we'll skip that part. But it's simply trusting God. So by the time we get to our, quest, our requests, we already know where they're coming from, and it's already coming from a sincere place in our heart. Now, again, we can say the words and not mean them. So there's nothing wrong with asking God for something, by the way. If you have a need, he says, come. He says to ask him if you have a need. Bring those requests. Make them known to God. Make them known. But what he's saying is make them known and know who you're talking to. Know where your heart is at. He's saying make sure your heart is in the right place before you begin asking. Because, I mean, people ask God for things all the time. I think there was even a movie, right? What's, the, what's that movie with, um, he, he, he takes on the role of God and he just says yes to every prayer request. And like everyone's praying to win the lottery and everyone wins the lottery and some people win like a dollar. Yeah. Yeah, is it yes man? No, it's not yes man. Bruce Almighty, maybe. I, I've never really seen the movie. I just know the kind. You know, he, he plays the role of God and realizes how hard it is because people just ask for everything. And he just says, he just gives them everything. And then, it, you know, just the world falls apart, whatever. God's not like a, it's not like a slot machine where it's like maybe if I just pull the lever, if I just say the word right, if I, if I get the pattern just right, God will grant me my wish. He's not a genie, all right? You, you can't just rub the lamp and three wishes. You know, God, God, God will give you a lot more than three if that's what you need and that's his will. And he might give you none, <laughs> Because God's not a genie. Our, our prayers don't, they're not commands to God. They're not telling God, hey, you do this. And, and you know, I believe, I believe that God gives authority to Christians and to believers when we walk in his will. But I also, I also know and have seen that we can abuse that authority. We can start demanding things from God. That's not how God works. That's not how God calls us to be. You know, he, he, he says, you know, I give you authority to do this and do that. He, he doesn't actually say, pick up a snake, you know, and... You can read that. It happens. People, people do it. He's like, maybe you have authority over it, but he's not, he says, it also says, don't test me. So God's not a genie. God is not required to listen to our commands. You may be an important person. You may be a general. You may be the boss at work or whatever the case may be. Maybe you think you're the boss and you're not, whatever. You do not get to command God to get him to do whatever you want. Remember, we pray this prayer in light of the first three steps. Our Father, okay, God, and he's holy. His will be done. All right, now I can begin to ask in light of these things. And you know what I find? I still pray, God, would you do this? Would you do that? But what I find is that those needs that I begin to pray for in light of who God is really aren't that big of a deal. They're, you know, they, they are. They're, they're important. They, they affect our lives and there's still nothing wrong. God wants us to bring those things, but I realize how small they really are because they're through my own human eyes. I don't have, if I don't have the eyes of God to see what he sees, which I'm not God, so I don't. But the things that I think are important really become 
like nothing. They really become less and less mundane. And at the very least, my faith begins to grow and says, you know what, I trust, you know what, maybe, maybe there is, there's a serious need, there's a miracle that needs to happen. And I'm feeling the burden of that miracle. I pray, I give it to God, and it doesn't happen right away. I have the peace because it passes my understanding, but I have the peace to know that with God, that God knows, that God sees. And, and Jesus already tells us, don't babble on because God already knows before you ask. But he wants you to ask. Get to that another day. This one's important. Why does Jesus ask the Father to forgive him? If Jesus is perfect, you know, he's the spotless lamb, why does he ask God to forgive him? The fifth portion of the prayer, forgive us our debts or our sins. And I think we can get confused. Jesus was without sin. It's what made him the sacrificial lamb for you and I. So why would he pray for the forgiveness of sins? Well, I know that I need to be forgiven. I know that I need to be forgiven. But when we pray it in this prayer, it's reminding us of where we stand with God. It's saying, forgive us. One, it humbles me to know that I need God. But two, I also recognize that it's made me worthy. Jesus has made me worthy to stand in the presence, to sit in the presence, to lay in the presence, whatever, wherever you're praying. It gives me the confidence to know that because of Jesus, I am worthy to stand in the presence of God because I am forgiven. There is no longer a barrier between me and the Father. There's no longer a barrier between me and God. And so when Jesus is saying, pray, Father, forgive me, forgive us our sins, he's not saying, I have sinned, Father. He's just saying, so you remember who you are. Remember that God loves you no matter what. Remember that God has redeemed you. You are his child. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. When you have taken that step of faith to put your faith in him, to believe in him, to declare him as Lord, as a believer, when you pray, you can know that there is nothing that can separate you from God. And so you know that, and this is the big one, if you know that you, where you stand with God and he doesn't answer the prayer in the way that you wanted him to, you can still have the faith to know, at least it's not because of something that I did. You know, I... I stole a few things, and so God's really, he's disappointed at me. He's mad at me, and he's punishing me. God does not punish us. Trust me. The punishment that God gives us is death. The punishment that God gives us is death and it's hell, and he's redeemed us from both of those things. We don't have to face the punishment. God does not punish us on this earth. Now, because of sin, we have to deal with challenges of this earth. Because of all of these things, we have to deal and push through the heartache and the pain sometimes. But God is not punishing us. God has given us new life and he's given us hope to live with him for eternity forever. God answers our prayers sometimes yes and sometimes no and sometimes not yet. And so when I pray and I don't get the response that I want, at least I have the faith to know where I stand with God is good. That I'm worthy to be in his presence. We have already been forgiven. It also reminds us that we are set free from our past. I am no longer the person that I once was. And so God, I'm thankful for that. I remember the sacrifice that you made for me. I remember what it costs for me to actually stand here and pray in your presence. And finally, he says, lead us not into temptation. The finally, the sixth 
petition. Lead us not into temptation. Shows us that the struggles of this world are real. It shows us that the things that we face are real and that our God is still bigger than all of those things. I had a Bible college uh, professor, actually he was the president, he was in chapel and he was, he was a chapel or whatever it was. We were speaking and he said, you know, when you're praying and confessing to God your sin, something that you have done, and you say, God, please help me not to X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. He says, don't pray, don't pray prayers like that because the moment you begin to speak, God, help me not to do this, What's in your mind? That. He says, lead us not into temptation. He says, don't, don't pray, God help me not to do. He says, God help me not to be tempted. End the sentence. Help me through the temptation, period. End the sentence. God help me with the temptation. Help me with the struggle. End of sentence. Don't put ideas into your mind that you don't have to. Trust me, God knows how bad you were. <laughs> And he's taken that away. Go jump back to the fifth one. He already forgave you for it. You put that in your mind, you got to live through it again and again and again and again. You know, we, we, we did a message a few weeks ago or months ago now on unforgiveness. Sometimes the person we need to forgive is ourselves because God did. Lead us not into temptation. The prayer doesn't remove us from danger. It lets us walk through hard times, but never alone. Don't pray, God, help me not to pray, deliver me from temptation. This morning, if you want to get a little bit closer to God, we have a great tradition in the church that Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. And he says, whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And this meal that he has with his disciples on the Last Supper this moment, he says, it reminds you of the cost of salvation. It reminds you where you stand with God. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. We're going to have an opportunity to, to drink from this cup and to eat this bread as a reminder of where we stand with God. And today, if you want to take a moment, we're going to have just a moment to pray and then take this cup and be dismissed but if you want to get a little bit closer to God, you want to spend some time with him, spend some time and pray. And as we take communion this morning, let it remind you of that sacrifice. Let it remind you what God did for us and that he's not that far away. Let it remind you that he's close. And so let me pray. And as I pray, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We ask God today, Lord, that you would look in our hearts, that you would prepare us, O oh Lord, for this moment of communion. Lord, as we prepare to go from this place and stay in this place for this meeting and all of these things, God, we, we pray that we would grow, go from here knowing that we've met with you, that we're a little bit closer to you than we were just a short time ago. God, we pray that your will be done here in this place. Lord, that your will will be done in our lives and in our hearts, and it will be done in our minds and our souls. God, I thank you for every person in this room, and I thank you for the high calling that you've given to us, O oh Lord, that we would know that we are your children, that you love us, that you care for us, that we belong to you. God, as we take this communion this morning, Lord, let it remind us of who you are. Let it remind us of what you have done for us.